Doug South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. We're mass communicating. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. This is the End of the Line Podcast, powered by DougSouth.com. I give it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that. And now, here your host, Rocky LaFleur. Everybody on? Good. Great. Grand. Wonderful. No yelling in the butt. Josh Webb. Sorry I had a fight in the middle of your butt. I'm party. And Jake LaTondres. I am bad news. Also starring Rob Crew. I bet this guy's into the woods a hundred bucks. And Bradley Ramsey. Bill Martin inside. Showtime. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Showtime, everybody. Showtime. Welcome to the End of the Line podcast. I'm Rocky LaFleur in the Ducktown Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. Joining me from Colorado and not Africa, LaTondres. Jake. I bet you are one happy man to have your feet back on American soil. Dude, yesterday was Father's Day. We got back the day before, and I was so glad to be home for Father's Day with my kids and my wife. Um, and Jess DiLorenzo and her husband, Mark, and their daughter, Emmy, uh, came out from Pennsylvania. They They spent Father's Day with us yesterday, so we grilled steaks and drank a little wine and whiskey and went to the park with the kids and had a blast. And I was sitting there thinking, um, you know, swinging on the swing with them, just chatting and, and at times when we weren't talking, how happy I am to be at home right now with my family. <laughs> Man, 13, 13 days. Is that what, that's what you said. You were, you were in Africa yeah. for 13 days with Ramsey. And Ryan Bassham. Yeah, Ryan. Did Ryan's going back though, right? Uh, he's not. He was gonna go on a trip, another big game trip. I think like in a month or something. But uh, when we were there, he told me he canceled that trip just because he's got so much going on, and you know he's away from man outside of Ramsey and myself, and perhaps uh, John Lamonico. I don't. Ryan Bassham is 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 as much he travels as much as any of us and anyone that I know so you know he was I think he's he was getting a little sensitive to his home time with his family as well you have he has so many obligations to Sitka also that he has to take care of with his position and it, it it's got to be a working trip for him as it is for you i mean because you know the life of a cameraman doesn't stop when you when you walk back into the hotel room and you set the camera down no no it's very busy and i and i'll say this about ryan bassham he might be the most i want to say busiest but i'm not going to say that because i know a lot of busy really busy people but he's he's he might be one of the most hard-working guys that i know and he never stops when he goes to bed at night he sleeps i'm sure but you know he's up early 
and even you know hunting he's constantly on his phone and it's not that annoying type of you know god that guy's on his phone all the time like you look at him and almost feel bad for the guy because he's so freaking busy with you know what he's got going on at sitka and the obligations that he has there the and the constant growth and progression that they make keeps a guy busy and, and the company busy and then, you know, he's got Trophy Expeditions, which is a booking agency for big game hunts. And, you know, just a, a variety of things, you know, editing photos and contacting people, trying to, you know, he's just a hustler, man. And, and uh, so, yeah, he's, he's a busy guy. <laughs> well, on Friday, I, I'm, no, 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 Thursday. I guess while you were still in Africa, there was a Blood Origins episode released, and it was about about you. And I'll have to say, even kind of knowing that story from doing uh, your story on the podcast here last year. And let me tell you something, people: if if you have not listened to the climb, go back. Download the Podbean app. You can't find it on iTunes anymore because they only keep like 50 episodes. Go back to the Podbean app, load it to your phone, and go back and find the climb. I think we recorded it, Jake, was it last spring? Man, I I don't. I can't, time flies and so many things have occurred, you know, between then and now that I don't remember exactly when we recorded it. I just know, I will say this, I do get, and I'm surprised by this because, you know, we always talk about, you know, people or ourselves and we live in this world of self-promotion and social media and all these things, but you, you know, you just go through all that trying to stay as humble and, and as individualized as you can. And, and so it's always humbling. But I still get messages on my social media, DMs and, and private messages from people that say, man, I just went back. I, I, you know, just found out about Duck South or End of the Line podcast. And I went back and started listening to podcasts and I heard the climb and, and, and I'm, I'm surprised that I was pleasantly surprised that as long as it's been sitting there and living, um, you know, at the, at the, at that, the bottom of that totem pole of all the, the fascinating and wonderful uh, interviews that you've done since then that people uh, still reach out and, and, you know, talk about it. So I'm very proud of that. And I'm really glad that we, we did that whole series. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. Oh man. Well, and then talking about the blood origins episode that they just released about you, 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 mm -hmm. you talk a, a lot about your dad and the things that your dad taught you. And, you know, you go real in depth one whole up, well, probably two or actually probably two or three episodes about your dad on the climb. And, but I've always said that these, the video, even if it doesn't contain the detail that, say, a podcast episode does, you get the full effect because of the, the visual emotional response coming from you and I'm going to tell you something after watching that and watching you tell that you know I was like a, a, a 
a gif on Facebook. That's my boy. That's my boy. <laughs> you know, laughing, man, because it was it was awesome. I mean, it was a it was a really, you know, you. I will say this: if they, I left wanting more after watching it. I wanted more detail. I could have sat there and watched it for a while. Um, but the, you, you know, you only have for for the majority of the people that view these videos online, you only have, you know, it's a, it's a percentage deal. You only have so long to get as much story and as much content as you can into those certain few minutes. Mm-hmm. Just what the, it's what they tell us. Yeah, I think that's based around, you know, the, the attention span of social, you know, it's all digital data really based on the attention span of viewers and how long people are going to click into it and then click out of it. Whereas, you know, contrasting uh, your podcast, you know, you have, you've you've developed a way to to create the series so that you can go for so long and then end it and then resume the next episode picking back up where you left off and I think that's you know that's one of the great things about what you're doing with end of the line so you know there's 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 only so much you can tell in 10 minutes or five minutes or 30 minutes and even if it was a three hour long episode there's still more to tell right oh yeah did you know that that's kind of where pre-production that that's where that episode Kind of was going, or did they sit you down, shoot some, and say, "Oh yeah, this is the direction"? No, that you know that we. So here's what happened. So Robbie, Robbie Kroger, he's a he's a uh, he's an American citizen, but he's originally from South Africa. He's a he was a reporter. He was a color commentator for ESPN two or ESPNU for college soccer, and. Then when, you know, and he's always been a hunter. He was raised as a a hunter in South Africa. And then when he came over to the U.S., um, he went to school at the University or Mississippi State University. And he started, you know, getting living down in South Mississippi, man. He couldn't help but be around, um, you know, the world of hunting and, and, and the outdoors and whatnot, as rich as that is in Mississippi. And so when he started all this, I met him at the SHOT Show. Um, Sam Soholt uh, introduced me to him at the SHOT Show two or three years ago. And he was started telling me about this, this episodic series that he wanted to do called Blood Origins. And, and I thought it was a great idea. I thought it was really fascinating. He showed me some examples that he was, you know, referencing and using as a business model on YouTube and I thought you know what this might this is different enough that this might very well be and 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 he also told me the the authenticity of it was that he's not I mean he's going to go out and, and and get the people like Will Primos and and Cuz Strickland and Jim Shockey but he's also going to involve other people that are aren't necessarily known in the outdoor industry and get their stories because those are the really fascinating stories to people that that have, you know that that people can relate to because you know 99.9% of the people out there are are just like that they're just they're just hunters and they're just fishermen and but but everyone has a story 
So, you know, when he when he approached me about doing my story, I told him, I said, man, I don't want to do it in Colorado. I would consider doing it on the Platte River because that's where I've spent a, a great amount of time in my life in the outdoors. But I'd rather meet in Tennessee and do it on my property because that's really where I cut my teeth. And I know I'm going to get emotional if we do it there. So to his credit, he waited, you know, he waited for me and, and I hadn't, I hadn't been to Tennessee in a few years, at least to my hometown. And finally, I, I made a point to just go there and meet him in the early fall and do an interview, um, do an interview with him at, at my property. So he, he drove up from South Mississippi to meet me in Tennessee and we sat on an old pavilion that sits next, we, we own an eight acre pond on this property and we just sat on the pavilion while it was raining outside and he started shooting questions um, that he had already had, you know, premeditated and, you know, one question led to another and then the next thing you know, I'm in tears talking about my dad, which I always do. <laughs> Man, it, um, it was a very, because most of us, I'm going to say most of us, started out with our dads. And most of us that are very respectful of the um, hunting culture and respectful of the resources given to us, um, we're taught by our dads. And I think a lot of times today, Jake, the, the ones being complained about had no influence in their life. They just they just kind of started out hunting on their own. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times on social media, you see people, you know, on the in the public woods of Arkansas being complained about, or. Um, I hear it all the time out of Florida when it comes to fishing and duck hunting. But I think a lot of those people that they just jumped into to the fire themselves and they weren't started at a young age, weren't taught mm -hmm. the same hunting kind of etiquette mannerisms that, that we were. And, and that's very true. Very, I, I find, I, I, you're hitting buttons with me right now. Rocky, because I, I totally agree with you, and I think about that all the time. Because you see people breaking the rules and acting like, you know, I'm not even going to use any descriptive adjectives to 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 describe people, but you know, you see people acting outside of the proper etiquette, and there is an etiquette. And I did a post, of, I don't know, several months ago about about duck hunting etiquette and, and the rules, the unwritten rules that, you know, people acknowledge like don't hunt downwind and don't don't pull your duck call out when you're an invitee on a on a hunt. And don't don't be, you know, hitting waypoints on your GPS when you go into someone's hole. And and all those things that, that apply to it, you're right, come from the, the discipline and the, the set of rules and regulations that are unwritten that, that not just dads, but true mentors provide young people. 
And let's say you're a teenager and you just start duck hunting when you're 14 or 15 or 16 or 18 or whatever it is. And you just start going with people that didn't have mentors or dads. That's how you learn. You learn from them. And that's where those, uh, and I'll just say it, rotten eggs come from because they don't understand. They don't realize that, man, this is a gentleman's game. Originally, you know, there was market hunting and all that, but when you look back in the, the annals of time in the hunting world, I mean, this was a gentleman's game and it should be a gentleman's game because it's a social, it's, it's something that's social and something we're supposed to enjoy. And even if you don't kill something, you got to understand and learn how to appreciate what's going on out there, whether it's the sunrise or you see some, you know, phenomenal wildlife experience that you would never get to see sitting on your couch or watching video games or watching your iPad or even sitting in a cubicle at work. It's something that, that you saw and, and having people there like, especially in, in duck hunting where it's so, so social and it's a group event, you share it with people. And so, you know, that's something that I think is really important and it's something that I'm really trying to enhance in terms of of more visibility and acknowledgement of etiquette because it, I, I think it's something that's lost and that's what made hunting an American heritage opposed to just some entertainment value that people take for granted. I agree. I agree. Well, congratulations because the the episode was was really good to you and Robbie. It, it was a great episode, and very proud of you. Very proud of you yeah. for for telling that story because I know that if you go back and listen to the climb. You, you, Jake goes into great great detail about him and his dad and his relationship and woo. If you don't listen, but to but the first four parts of the climb, it, it is worth your time. That Jake goes in great detail about that, and just the move to Colorado, and wow, man, it was a you know, you know great group of episodes. Well, I appreciate that, Rocky, and and you know what comes full circle about, especially yesterday, and the timing of of. Uh, that Blood Origins episode was really um, uh, impeccable because it landed exactly. a few days before Father's Day. And then, you know, going through Father's Day yesterday and, and experiencing things with my children, particularly not that not that I, I'm biased at all, again, you know, with any of my kids, but, you know, it, let's not, let's not, hide the truth uh, you know when uh, when a man decides to start having children you know when they have when he has a son especially a son that shows you know shows influence and and begins to like the outdoors and the hunting and get gains curiosity you're like oh my god now i've got a responsibility because what my dad taught me is so important and the values of of hunting and fishing that man i got to get all this in and then you you know you go through the old cliche of they just grow up so fast you know don't blink your kids are going to be in high school before you know it well we all know that that's true all of us that have kids and you only have so much time with them 
and you're trying to figure out how to do this the right way. And the only way I know how is to go back into, you know, stories like The Climb and, and Blood Origins and take what my dad taught me and just use that as a business model. I say a business model. Use that as a life, a life model and just trust it because it worked with me and I trust that it's going to work with my son. And I really hope that it does because it means, it means a lot to me, you know, obviously. Oh yeah. All right. Change of pace for a minute, Jake. 25 years ago, you know, there's, there's a lot of historical moments in our life that, that happened during our lifetime that like nine 11, we can all tell where we were on nine 11. Right. Anybody you ask, mm-hmm. you walk up to say, Hey, where were you on nine 11? You're like, mm-hmm. I was right here, blah, blah, blah. Well, it's a pretty significant anniversary of another one of those moments in life where we at the time were glued to TVs 25 years ago today. You know what happened 25 years ago today, Jake? 25 years ago today? Yeah. 25 years ago today. What year What year was 25 years ago? <laughs> 1994. I was graduating high school. 1994 means I was graduating college. <laughs> um, God, you, you're aging me, Rocky. <laughs> when I tell you, you're going to know exactly where you were. 1994. Okay, just tell me because I'll waste time trying to guess. It was the day or this afternoon starting what? Probably 4 o'clock this afternoon or 5 o'clock this afternoon Central Time was the famous uh, OJ ride in the Bronco. Uh-huh. OJ Chase. Yeah. Now that I say that. It was that long ago. Do you do you remember where you were? Yeah, I was I was at home in Tennessee. I had just graduated from the uh, Colorado State University. I went back home for the eight months to work with my dad on the Pearl Farm, and I was sitting I was sitting in uh, getting ready to leave. I was sitting in the office, and my dad comes in because he always watched the news. He spent a great deal of his time thinking in his bedroom at home with the TV on. And it was always on the news. And I remember him coming out to the office going, you better come, you should come inside and see what's going on. And when I walked in, they were already, they, it was, it was, it was a, what, a 35 mile an hour high speed chase down the highway chasing a white Bronco. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I it was on that. every I, channel, every, every channel. Everything. Everything. And I remember, I remember seeing stores like that night or perhaps, uh, the next morning. I think it was that night. There were people that took like soap and wax and were writing, uh, graffiti on, on, uh, on a street front glass, like at restaurants or, or, uh, retail stores. And I remember seeing one that said free OJ. And I remember my dad, I remember my dad saying to me, he goes, now you think they're really 
supporting OJ here or they're just trying to get people in for free OJ because I think it was at a donut shop <laughs> or something. And, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, wow, I cannot believe that was 25 years ago. I thought you were going to ask me about something specific besides 9-11 that I remember where I, something that, that changed the world that I remember if I remember where where I was at the time. It um do you remember who was do you remember the, the gentleman that was driving the Bronco? Yeah, it was Al Cowling. That's exactly right. That's exactly yeah. right. A I good friend and I don't know if they ever played together or not. Um but, but they were yeah, best he, friends at the time. He was driving, and O.J. was in the back. As I recall, he was in the back of the Bronco under a blanket, and he had a gun. And Al was trying to talk him into turning himself in because if he didn't do this, if he didn't commit this murder, everything was going to be fine. But there's no way he was getting out of this. I remember watching an interview with him at some point, and he kind of told what was going on in the Bronco during that chase. Remember that they were, they were going like down the freeway, and all the traffic had you know pulled over, and there was multiple law enforcement cars with their lights on behind him. And there was the Bronco. There's people on overpasses hanging signs that said "Free OJ" or "Go OJ." Everybody was on his side, and they were going like 35 miles an hour down the freeway. I mean, it was like the slowest high speed chase ever. <laughs> what a what a what a what a tragic fall from 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 the top of your world what a, what a tragedy that was i don't think that people un- know and understand the star that oj was at the time the, the, oh most of goodness. the people that are let's say 20 well probably 25 and younger you know, O.J., the thing about it is O.J.'s appearing in movies at the time. He's in all kinds of commercials. It's a retired football star. Yeah, the Hertz rental commercials where he was, he'd was he be running through the airport. Remember that with a briefcase? Yeah. Those were iconic commercials, you know. I mean, everybody, no one wanted... No one wanted that to be true. No one wanted to believe that, you know, that he he killed anybody or that he committed such a heinous crime. And then when everything started to unravel, it was just like, holy. Like, the, the attitude after that was, nothing surprises me. You can't trust anyone because even someone like O.J. Simpson could go down like that, you know. Here, here's. The, I'm going to propose a theory to you, Jake. Uh-oh. All right. So, leading up to the Bronco chase, mm-hmm. the, the the few days in between of Nicole and I can't remember. You know, that's bad. You can't even remember the other Nicole gentleman that and Goldman. Uh, Goldman. Yeah. Yeah. The gruesome details that are coming out through the news about the way that they were murdered. I mean, it is the whole world or the whole United States that is 
you know, uh, paying attention to kind of pop culture, it, it was it was awful, awful to hear some of those things. So there's a lot of people, and it's starting to leak out that OJ is a suspect in this whole deal. And man, the tide is really, really turning against OJ. Mm-hmm. During those few days in between. And then you have the Bronco rut. I think at that point, not only did OJ become iconic and that white Ford Bronco become iconic, but um, I think that for the a lot of the people, even though that they knew he may have been guilty, there was a lot of people that respected him for his thumb and thumb and his nose at the police. Do you, you see what I'm getting at? You understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I think I think so, Rocky. I think I mean, you think that came from respect or the fact that people just OJ was so iconic. I mean, he was like he was like the Michael Jordan of that era. He was he was probably the most famous athlete in the world, and he had the and he, his reputation was. I mean, he was doing he was he was like the first sideline reporter for Monday Night Football when Frank Gifford and Howard Cosell and uh, who was it? who else Kurt, who else was it you know when when that when that when that whole when Monday Night Football was really at its greatest height Oof. he was the sideline guy and and everyone knew him by his smile his charisma and everybody just thought he was literally the all-American hero, not to mention the, the fact that he was black, which made him even more iconic because he created some acceptance, really, from from that day and age, the, the 60s and 70s and, and into the 80s, where, you know, he it didn't matter what his skin color was. He was O.J. and he was the man. <laughs> and so, well, he, I mean, he, that was... All right, so, so I left a very important part out of the story. All right, l- let me bring mm-hmm. a name back to you, Jake. Do you remember the name Rodney King? Of course. All right, so at the time... Complete opposite of O.J. Simpson. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, heck yeah. But, but no, just, he, I'm just kidding, yeah. He was caught... Uh, they caught the police on film beating him. Um, mm-hmm. Pulled him over... They, they say at the time he, you know, he's high as a kite. They could have just, but he led him on a chase and they pulled him out of the car, which he did endanger lives on the chase. And they, they beat him. And But it was a helicopter, news helicopter, filming this as it went on. Well, it caused riots in L.A. Huge riots. Huge. They almost Huge. burned the city down in 1990. Remember they pulled that guy out of that semi? They had that roadblock oh, and they pulled that. Got out of the semi and literally beat him till his eyes were bulging for no oh, reason man. other than the fact that he was a white guy driving a pickup yeah. or a semi. You know? it, it it was unbelievable. All right, so what I'm saying is, I say all that to say this: there was a large group of people that had no respect for the L.A. 
police. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're talking about LA, what is it? Five million people? I, I'm don't, I don't know the exact figure. Oh no, no, Los Angeles. Get, yeah, it's funny you bring this up because, and I'm not going to go on a tangent here, but I watched a documentary on Netflix the other day. Los Angeles, California, is the fourth largest economy on planet Earth. Just the city itself. And I believe there right now there's like twenty or twenty one million people in the Los Angeles oh, wow. area. It's humongous and it has uh I mean it it has a massive economic impact on the world. So So anyway let, let's let let's merge your story and my story together. Okay? Because yeah. that's where it's okay. that's exactly what we need to do. You're okay. saying at the time that that O. J. Simpson is a hugely respected individual by whites and blacks um, for his TV work, for his, 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 any of his own film work, but Monday Night Football, um, the first star to rush for 2,000 yards in the NFL, yeah. Star, star athlete. Okay, let's set that right here. All right, then, You've got a community of um, that distrust the police already from what happened in 1992 with Rodney King. Mm-hmm. Now it looks like, right or wrong, it looks like the police are coming after a hero. Mm-hmm. Right, right, like I said, right or wrong. They were going to stand on OJ's side, guilty or not guilty. Mm-hmm. Just because he was the as big as Los Angeles was, he was the hometown hero. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it just when OJ is going down the highway to them as they viewed it. It looked like it was a act of screw you police, and that's exactly what that group of people wanted to see. Mm-hmm. That's even though in the back of their mind and their gut, I think that all of, they know that he's guilty, and they they were the loudest to cheer when he was found not guilty, even though the evidence a hundred percent pointed toward him being guilty. But that, that's not the – look, that's not the topic of the day. Where were you when that happened? You were at home in Tennessee. I'll never forget that day. I picked up my high school sweetheart, and we were going on a double date, and we went to pick the other couple up and got to um, the house of – girl of the other couple to to pick them up and we walked in the house because it had started when we left my girlfriend's house and didn't think anything about it but by the time that we got to the other couples where they were it was huge it was everywhere every channel we flipped it on it was on and we i'll never forget we sat there I guess that thing probably ended uh, probably eight or nine, 
probably 8 Pacific, which would have been 10 Central. But we sat there and watched that thing the whole night, just glued to the TV. You ought to have him on your podcast, Rocky. <laughs> you know, cause, and the reason I say that is because, I mean, I, obviously I'm being uh, comical there, but I wish someone would convince O.J. Simpson to do a documentary, a film documentary, about what really happened and literally just come clean with it and just – just open up and I mean what's it gonna what's you know what could happen what, what could possibly get any worse for OJ now I, I suppose you know when you think nothing could get any worse sometimes it does but I would love to hear the true story because I've watched I've watched I watched a documentary about Mike Tyson on Netflix and I watch his podcast even though he does a lot of inappropriate things on his podcast hot boxing with Mike Tyson he's hilarious and he's still polarizing and he's still very much, you know, people loved him, even though he fell from grace and fell from the top of Mount Everest in the boxing world. And really at the time he was the most famous athlete in the world in his heyday. Oh, man. Real. And, and the guy's fascinating. He's, you know, contrary to what people think, he's not stupid. He's a very bright guy. And he had custom auto, you know, as a mentor, and and his and he's so honest now with who he was and what he his insecurities in life and how he hated himself and it was really a just a big facade because he was like man I'm I was so insecure and I hated who I was but you know Don King that's how I had to promote myself as this beast and they kept telling me you got to be an animal in the ring and you got to that's how you got to you know, that's what people love about you is you're just a vicious animal and, 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 and an uncaged animal when you get in the ring. And now when you listen to him, he's just like, it's really fascinating to hear the truth because you can tell he's telling the truth. And then, you know, think about what happened to Tiger Woods. And you just want to know the truth because, not because you're nosy and you want to get into his business, but really because you can relate to him. You're like, God, yeah, I'm, I'm insecure about myself or I was, or, or, you know, I did, I made some really bad decisions in life, but there's a chance to resurrect yourself when you come clean with everything and you face the world and you tell the truth. Then all of a sudden you're liberated from all that black, dark cloud hanging over your head. And I would love, you, you got to think if you still, love oj simpson for who he was before that whole you know the whole uh, incident with with his ex-wife and that guy ronald ronald goldman was his name that's it and if you still love the guy you think man the only way he'll ever be liberated from himself from his own prison is to come clean and and voice to the world what really happened because we all kind of know what really happened or we think we know what really happened but no one really does because he never came clean with it. you know what i mean wow what i'm kind of like you i'm kind of like you jake that, that that is hard to believe that that was 25 years ago look 25 years ago 25 years ago it was longer than it took you to get 
through elementary, junior high, and high school and college. It was longer than that yeah. exactly. ago. <laughs> it was a that, I mean, yeah, twenty five years ago. You sit here and look back at that and can remember what happened. And you were an adult when that was, or you know, by from by age class, you were considered an adult, well into your adult years by then. And they're like, holy crap, that was 25 years ago. Seems like it doesn't seem like yesterday, but it seems more like 10 years ago or something, eight or 10 years. Yeah. Ago. Yeah. Time mm. flies, man. What a what a crazy, you know that really kind of set some standards and set set that whole Rodney King. You're right, Rodney King's incident that really set set this whole thing up. And I don't want to get into the whole you know racist thing and black and white cop and this and no, that. No, I don't either. Because we can talk ourselves into a freaking into a an abyss there, but. That really set a precedence um, for the United States and really the whole world. How how you know that sort of that color barrier uh, and the reaction to that color barrier was going to go. I mean, they're still they're they're still talking about that stuff today, and it was based around that incident. Both of those incidents, the Rodney King situation, and and the Rodney King situation when it opened up. The reaction to what happened, it was really sort of almost a mirrored image of when, when OJ, you know, they were, remember that when they were, when the verdict came out and in the, in the original trial, when the verdict came out, they were cops. It was like we were getting prepared for war in the United yep. States because no one knew what the verdict was going to be, but they were getting the, the law enforcement from federal, state, county and city law enforcement and from coast to coast and border to border were getting prepared for a a guilty verdict at the time and that it was going to cause a a riot like we had never seen before remember that oh i i do remember it man Golly. The, you, i can't Looking back on it after talking to jurors now, you know, the, the glove incident is kind of – that that put one ounce of doubt. In in our legal system, you're not supposed to be found guilty unless you're 100% sure. Reasonable Beyond doubt. the shadow of a doubt. Remember that? that what's that lady's name? Uh, uh, oh. The 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 the, uh, the prosecuting attorney, or the or, or Johnny Cochran, and you know that whole <laughs> that whole set of uh, attorneys that he had. That's what kept coming up. Beyond, and it goes today. When you listen to those reporters, you remember? I mean that that whole incident made CNN reporters famous, like Greta Van Sestren. She was part of that whole thing, and. And some of those uh, uh, news reporters that are anchors uh, for big news platforms now were just like, you know, sideline reporters during that OJ Simpson trial. And that's the Kardashian. That's what made them. That's what brought them, you know, to the to the limelight 
it's it's really really i'm so glad you brought this up today because really fascinating how the whole thing worked but but i remember the the slogan it was like you know before taglines were taglines which was just a few years ago that was the tagline to the oj simpson defense beyond the shadow of a doubt you have to prove beyond the shadow of a doubt and when he tried to put that glove on it was like putting a it was like putting a freaking rubber medical glove on his hand. And he was like, try, you know, it was like this acting scene where he was, you know, struggling Fighting. to put this glove on his hand. And it was like, dude, just put the glove on, man. And then when, you know, when it only came halfway down his palm, you're like, what'd they do? Put that thing in a dryer or something? And then you're like, you're like, look, man, you know. The famous tagline. The famous tagline that came out was in closing argument. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. There you go. That's right. <laughs> and you remember his face when he put the glove on, he held his hand up in the air and it was like he was like, Ha, it doesn't fit. You know, this is the this is the missing link to this whole case and you brought you finally brought the bloody glove out and you're asking me to put it on and it doesn't fit there's no way I could have done this because that glove doesn't fit my hand <laughs> it it a little doubt right then started entering jurors minds even though you've got 90% proving that it was him do you remember OJ had a cut on him Mm-hmm. On his arm. There, there were so many things that led. So many things that led to OJ. But reasonable doubt. That's all it took yep. was the glove not fitting. But the greatest spinoffs and the greatest whatever that came from OJ was the satire that was created. For the ever so popular series at the time, Seinfeld. You'll have to, you'll have to lead down that road, Rocky, because and and uh, Ramsey and I were talking about this when we were in Africa. He was he 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 said something about Seinfeld, and I, and I have I've only watched one Seinfeld episode in my whole life. Um, Are you serious? I ever, yep, I don't I, I I never got into Seinfeld. <laughs> Oh, they man, I guess utilized, I was too busy watching hunting videos. <laughs> they utilized the OJ case throughout the Seinfeld uh, series, uh, whatever you call it at the time, you know, because Kramer always had the Johnny Cochran-like lawyer, blah, blah, uh, blah, to jump in and sue somebody or he spilled coffee on him or he smoked too many cigarettes and his face turned leathery, so he sued the tobacco companies. <laughs> <laughs> but it, you got you got to go back. Look, let me give you a piece of advice. You, you know, in any great series, there's certain uh, years or, that seasons. that are good. Don't watch the first mm-hmm. two years. Just start on year three and go forward. Hmm. In the Seinfeld, and then just like in Andy Griffith, you don't want to see, but the episodes that gee, I bet right now, are you an Andy Griffith fan? Oh, yeah. I've seen most of all the Andy Griffith shows. Can you name one episode in color that was worth watching? 
in color that was worth well my recollection of Andy Griffith is definitely black and white I mean I'll just answer it that way because I'd have to sit and think about whether one was in color or not that's if, right if I remember yeah everyone that I remember one that really left an impact on you were in black and white right Mm -hmm. So if anybody were to say, say so, hey, yeah. I've never seen Andy Griffith, what should I watch? Well, I'm going to tell you that three-year span that Barney was there. Mm -hmm. You're talking about Don Knotts. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny because he was the most impressionable person besides the lessons that Andy always you know, taught Opie. Uh, Barney was the most impressionable person because he. I remember – you know, he'd like, there'd be some guy drunk or something in the cell, and he'd talk Barney into opening the door, and Barney would get in, and the guy would shut the jail cell door, and there would be Barney stuck in the jail cell with, without the key. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Barney. Barney. Barney would end up uh, learning the lesson just like Opie did. And that's, that's right. Or he would... He would be the he would be the character that was the center of the lesson that was taught to Opie. <laughs> so, all right. So, if you do go, like I said, if you go back and watch Seinfeld, just watch the, either mm -hmm. the last three years or the last four years of the. Okay. Don't don't fool with the first two seasons. They suck. Okay. They're awful. I may have to do but, that because Seinfeld was so popular, and I, I think maybe I didn't really. I didn't really like it that much because it was that New York, it was just a New York humor and New York sense of humor. But all my friends from the South loved it. So I can't use that as an excuse because I don't know why. I don't know why I didn't like, I didn't, I didn't really like Seinfeld. I just never really got it, I guess. I didn't watch it, watch it enough. Hey, before I let you go, I got one more question for you because I, I, I was going to save it for next week, but I'm going to jump into it real quick. And we'll, okay. we may go into more detail uh, next week. Name me one smell if it hits you just right. It, it, it like it opens a filing cabinet of memories. What's one smell? One smell. That opens this, up memories. This, yeah, this came up on uh, Duck South a couple of weeks ago, and I thought about you and wasn't any place to talk about it last week when we were recording in South Africa. But if you if something hits you, you're like, "Whoa, man! I didn't smell like I didn't smell that since I was a kid." Or it just like it takes you back to a certain place. When you smell it, that's that's actually a really great question. But having just thirty seconds to think about it, one of the smells that I remember, and 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 I don't smell it very often, but there's only one place you can smell it, and it takes me back to that. It takes me back to the, you know, when I was three, four, five, six, eight, nine, ten years old hunting with my dad is the smell of a 1969 1967 68 69 70 71 and 72 
Ford Bronco. Ironically, a Ford Bronco. But we had one. And I'm telling you, Rocky, there's no smell like it on Earth. I mean, there are Jeep, old Jeeps that kind of smell like it. But when you get into a, for, a 1970, let's say, Ford Bronco, it smell, they all smell the same. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's a mixture of carbon monoxide, or not carbon monoxide, yeah. but gas, burnt uh, gas, must, <laughs> must. Yeah. Uh, then the usually back in those those days, most people had covers those those cheap covers that you bought. Um, soft, you mean soft the cloth? And they've been wet a few times, and so they started mildewing. And they, you get that smell, and you combine all three of those, and it creates this awesome manly smell. Yeah, I mean, there's no question. When I, <laughs> oh my God, this is a whole other topic for an episode, but. You know, I remember looking back, we, that's what we had. You know, my, my dad bought, he, in 1968, he bought a Ford Bronco. It was blue and had a white hard top on it. It had dual gas tanks. And I remember every time we went hunting, I'd fall asleep. And, and my dad would have to wake me up. And looking back on it now, I know what it was. It was carbon monoxide because it was coming through the floorboard. Because it had holes in the floorboard so you could just kind of, you know, rinse it out and wash the, well, it was a hunting vehicle, right? And like a Jeep. And, and man, I forget there, there was a, when Ramsey and I were in Azerbaijan, we got into an old, an old SUV. Like it was, you know, obviously from the late sixties, early seventies. And I remember getting in that vehicle and it smelled very similar to that Ford Bronco. And it took me back to when I was a little bitty boy. Uh, going hunting with my dad but but uh yeah that's a great question i mean there's there's several things <laughs> that i was gonna say um these aromatic smells that, that would take me back in time or remind me of something but but that that definitely that ford bronco smell is very distinguishable and something that that i'll never i could be in my deathbed and if you put me in a 1970 or 71 ford bronco i would i would go back in time See, I think that you could, any of your senses, taste, smell, sound, I think that you could cross any one of them, and it takes you back to a certain place in life. Like, I'll tell you this, man, you, you give me the smell of a uh, a truck that runs on, on butane. A lot of farm trucks back in the old days ran on butane. Just pull up to a butane mm -hmm. tank and you filled it up. Well, that's, I can remember riding to the gym, my grandfather, and that smell would come up through the floor of burning mm -hmm. butane for a truck. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll tell you a sound, one of the most iconic sounds in the South that takes me back to being a kid is the sound of locust in July and August. Oh, yeah, sure. Man, you hear that sound and it's just like, you, you can go back to 1984, yeah. sitting on the side of the lake with your buddies. You, you were doing a in between swimming and fishing all at the same time, whatever mm -hmm. it may be. I, smell. I have. I smell. have one. Let me give you one yeah. more smell. Cotton defoliate. Okay. The first smell of it? cotton defoliate. Cotton oh, defoliate. Oh yeah. 
I go back to being a that's kid. That's a Mississippi and West. Uh, uh, that's a Mississippi thing because that doesn't resonate with me. Although we had some cotton in West Tennessee, not as much as you guys did in in Mississippi. You know, I I can go back to that smell and then the just the smell of picked harvested cotton. Um. Picking a shirt full of pears. I would pick a, you know, back in those days, plums, tomatoes, whatever you were picking, uh, pears, didn't matter. Apples, you'd roll up your shirt and you'd fill the, that, that, that bucket with the, of your shirt. You'd fill it up with that fruit, whatever it may be. Well, back in, you know, in September, the pears would be coming ripe. And so I'd fill up my shirt full of pears, and I'd go climb in a cotton trailer and just sit there and watch the cotton pickers pick, help them pack wow. cotton and eat pears all day. And that's what it takes me back to when that smell hits me. That's that's very interesting. Mine, one of my smells that I'm now that we're talking about this, one of the things that I remember too. A lot of people don't know this, but I I was a competitive boxer for twelve years, and the smell. No matter where you were, no matter where we were practicing in competition, wearing official gloves or whatever it was, gloves always traded hands from one fighter to the next. And the smell of hand wraps coming out of a sweaty boxing glove was very distinct. And it's something that you can only get out of a sweaty boxing glove. <laughs> So that's something that I remember that takes me back in time, too. And a sound that everyone's familiar with that takes me back to a, a, a specific incident uh, in the outdoors is a turkey gobble. When I hear a turkey gobble, I mean, every not every time, but quite often, when I was a kid, there was a guy named Charles Hubbs from Camden, Tennessee, who initiated the uh, the the wood duck conservation um, uh, nesting box program and he just happened to be from my hometown he started it or he was one of the guys that started it and he brought the idea to west tennessee and and so he he my, my, you know we like i said we owned a, an eight acre pond on our property um and where we did that blood origins uh episode and my dad had had you know we used to build duck blinds on stilts and he had built a a pole driver uh, a post driver with a, an old scuba air tank with rebar handles on the side welded on and he cut the top off of it so that you could take that thing and use it just like a fence post driver and you just bang these big you know treated posts into the ground or in the water in the, in the mud in the water and so we were building we were putting up uh, wood duck nesting boxes on these posts and we were in a flat bottom a little 10 foot flat bottom boat and my dad took that thing and slammed it down on the first post and when he did it made a turkey gobble down on the bottom and I was and I go what was that and my dad goes he did it again and that turkey gobbled and this was back in, this is like back in the 70s, man. This is like 1977 or 78, something like that. There's not a lot That's of turkeys before. around. No, yeah. exactly. And, and in fact, 
that property had one of the very few flocks of turkeys in West Tennessee and the National Wild Turkey Federation and more more involved, the Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency, they were coming out to that property with my dad's permission to net turkeys to start transplanting them into different parts of West Tennessee. And so anyway, I remember hearing that turkey gobble and it was like it blew my mind. And that that incident and that sound is what struck my curiosity into learning how to turkey hunt because and 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 when I hear a turkey to this day, when you slam a door or you hear you know, some I don't know a goose honks or you know you get that shot gobble effect off of turkeys in the spring, it always reminds me of that 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 uh, post hole or that post driver that my dad made. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Jay, we could go I've on and on with that. Think on it. Think on it over the next next few days. We're, we're gonna we're gonna revisit that topic again because I man I could go through I could go through it for a while. Just talk about for the sure. different. Woo. You know, and, and a lot of these smell, sounds, or taste, or anything are are certain to a uh, geographical area area mm-hmm. or or. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of mess saying that up. Sound like I was from Mississippi. Er. <laughs> but anyway, Jake, man, I have enjoyed it. Uh, I'm glad you're back home. Great, like I said, great episode on Blood Origins. I'm glad that you could join me today and look back at some of these topics that, like the OJ ride and the, the smells and sounds. But. Okay. Anyway, Jake is going to be back on here regular as much as he can, as long as he has a phone with some type of service. Jake will be back on here with us a good bit. So, Jake, it's good to have you back, bud. But anyway, looking forward to it. Yeah, we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you, man. I want to thank all of you that listened to this edition of the End of the Line podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com.